Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. Hey, so Pastor Don started an amazing sermon series last week called Inside Out. Now, I keep thinking of the little purple character in the movie, and I was thinking, like, we need a graphic. Why don't we just stick the movie cover up there? Uh, But that wouldn't fly, and we would get sued by Disney. Um, I almost said again, just to make you wonder, but that never happened. (laughs) I just wanted to see what you would do. Um, So we have this series called Inside Out, and Pastor Don was talking about how true change happens, and the real crux of the Christian life is happening from the inside out. See, we live in a world that is all about outside-in transformation. I'll prove it to you. How many of you have spent 120 bucks on a pair of running shoes that you thought, maybe if I just invest in these shoes, I'll actually go running, and they are sitting in your closet. And you use them on the long days at work when you have to stand up for a long time, right? How many of you guys are, have bought P90X? Maybe you go way back. Maybe you bought Richard Simmons and then P90X. I don't know. You got your little soup can and you were getting it. You know what I'm saying? But uh, <laughs> y'all yeah, don't know about the soup can. If you know, you know. I shouldn't know. I don't know why I know. Let me give you the ultimate picture of our outside-in world. I had to call and cancel my gym membership because I wasn't using it. I'm just going to say it was 21 days, but that's a lie. Um, I called and canceled, and I, it's the manager of the gym who's talking to me. I didn't know that. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm the manager. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, can I just ask by chance, like, what's the reason for, for quitting? I'm like, oh, it's probably like a survey thing. They got to know the data, why people are leaving. I said, I'm just not using it anymore. And she said, ah, so you're a donor. And I was like, hold on, lady. How about you refund the last year I didn't use after you say that? Like, come on now. But we live in a world that tries to transform from the outside in. We try to grab and control whatever we can control, and then hopefully it will give us peace. But I believe that God would say we need to start from the inside and let it work to the outside. And so Pastor Don preached this amazing message last week on who holds our tomorrow and how prayer precedes freedom. I was blessed by that message. It was such a good reminder. Just starting with the place of prayer. Starting with the place of prayer. Today I want to kind of take that to the next step. And I want to talk about how worship can transform your world. What worship can do to transform your world. See, I don't know what you're facing. But just like Pastor Dave said a moment ago, the answer is in your worship. The answer is in your praise. Worship can transform your interior life and the world around you. And I want to talk to you about that today. But first, I think we need to define what is worship. Because a lot of people don't know. A lot of us think we know. And there's always more to learn and grow and discover. So first of all, there are two basic themes of worship that we could be talking about today. Number one is a lifestyle of worship. Romans 12, in the uh, verse 2, in the message paraphrase, says it so wonderfully. It says that worship is our everyday getting up, walking around, eating, drinking, sleeping, going to work life. In fact, I heard a rabbi say the other day that if you look in the Old Testament in the original Hebrew language, and you would see places where God talked about work. Like he told Adam, he placed him in the Garden of Eden, and he said he was to work the ground. And then He gives the Ten Commandments later, and he says, six days you shall work, but the seventh day you shall rest. If you take that word work in those two places, it is the same word that they would have used for worship back then. See, God is not separating your worship life into 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. 
There is no box that you can put worship in. Worship is how we live our everyday life. It's living as unto the Lord rather than just saying, I'm going to go and visit him sometimes. It's being a representative of God all the time. It's Colossians 3 reminding us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as unto the Lord and not unto men. And your Father sees you and he will reward you. That's the beauty of what true worship is. But there's this other more specific facet of worship, and that is music. We would call it praise and worship. Those are really kind of two different things, but for today's discussion, we're just gonna call it all worship. We're gonna talk today about musical worship, and there are a lot of misconceptions about musical worship. And I would say people kind of fall generally into one of two camps. One camp is the people who think that worship is boring. Uh, Don't raise your hand. Like somebody's like, amen, oh my gosh, stop. I'll just quit my job. Uh, I'm just kidding. But some people believe that worship is boring. I don't know how you grew up. It could be the product of the way that you grew up, right? Maybe it was boring in the tradition that you grew up in. And I'm sure it blessed other people, but it just didn't resonate with you. I was always the guy that when they whipped out a hymnal, I was like, oh, there's four lines of text. There's dashes that tell you, sing that a little bit longer. And I can't figure out where I'm at. And maybe that just didn't connect with you like it did with some of the other people in your church. Maybe you think that worship is just awkward. You don't like to sing, right? That's why it's boring to you. I'm gonna keep my mouth shut, wait for it to be over. I wanna tell you a secret. If I'm in the seats and I can hear myself above the other people or above the sound system, I feel uncomfortable too. And my job is to sing. It can be awkward at times. But I love what Pastor Dave said. It's not about how good your voice is. It's about whether or not he's worthy of your worship. And sometimes that's the most precious gift. I mean, it's, easier to stand and do something that you're good at, but to, in front of everybody, just sing and lift your voice to the Lord, even if it makes you feel insecure because you know he's worthy. Can I tell you that touches his heart? The other thing is you might just think that worship is kind of like a warm-up for the sermon. You know, like I just got to get through this part and then we'll get to the teaching part and I'll take some notes. And I believe that the word is so incredibly important, but I just want to say today, worship is not like Christian calisthenics. Like everybody lift your hands, stretch it out. Okay, are you ready for the word now? That's not what worship is. Worship in the Bible is anything but boring. I'll prove it to you. Do you know who the most famous worship leader in the Bible was? Somebody can say it if you want to say it. David, King David. King David was not just a worshiper. He was a warrior. David was not just a warrior. David was someone that people were afraid of when they met him on the battlefield. There are stories of things that David did that you would not believe. But David was both a warrior and a worshiper. And I think it's such a funny juxtaposition. I imagine David's like, chopped the guy's head off, walking in, he's like, fetch me a harp to one of his people, you know? Like, I'm gonna play some worship right now. I don't do that on Sunday mornings in case you're wondering. It's just so interesting that that was his lifestyle. But he understood that worship is an act of spiritual warfare. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Man, this is this story in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 where the priests are ministering to God. They just begin to minister to the Lord. And the Bible says the glory, the tangible presence of the Lord fills the temple like a cloud. And it's so thick that they can't even minister anymore. It's like if just smoke fills this room. You can't see, you can't see the fire exits, and you just have to wait in God's presence. That's not boring to me. The second group of people, you may not think worship's boring. You may think it's entertainment. And we live in an entertainment culture. I can prove that to you. Because every time I pump gas, a TV comes on and starts talking to me. Like, I just want to pump my gas in peace. I'm not going to lie. I don't want to have the news in my face while I'm pumping gas. 
We live in an entertainment culture. And because you see a stage and because you see lights and because you see a microphone, it can seem like what the world would deem to be entertainment. But can I tell you something? Worship is not about being entertained. And I would just say it like this. Who here has ever taken an Uber? Yeah? Okay, hopefully it's for a good reason, not a bad one. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but if it wasn't, that's okay. We can, we can pray. Uh, I've taken Ubers in some really random places. I've taken Ubers in Mexico. I've taken Ubers in New York, Rome, uh, London. And I've never gotten back from a trip and somebody was like, how was your trip? And I was like, you should have seen the Uber driver. He was incredible. I mean, he just talked and he sang and he was so fun. We loved that Uber driver. Because the Uber driver's job is to take me to the destination where I'm wanting to go. Pastor Dave used to say this all the time, and he would coach worship teams. He would say, a worship team's job is to take a people to a place. When you see somebody up here with a microphone or with a guitar, I want you to know something. They're just an Uber driver. They are just here to take you to a destination, and that place is the presence of the Almighty God. Don't you dare get it convict or twist it up to think that they might be the one that deserves the glory and the honor and the praise. I get done with an Uber ride, I just rate the driver. Friendly guy. I hope you don't ever rate us, you know, like two and a half on singing. What? It would crush my soul. But uh, if we know what worship's not, it's not boring and it's not entertainment, then I do want to ask you this. What is it? Here's three things, just really simple. We'll get to the real message after this, but I think we need to set the foundation right now. Three things that worship is. Number one, worship is reverence. In fact, that word worship that we use in English comes from the old English word worship. And it means to acknowledge someone's worth. Worship is an act of reverence. That's why it doesn't matter if I'm a good singer or not. When the King of Kings is in the room, I lift my hands and sing because he's worthy. If the president of the United States, doesn't matter what your political party is, walked in the room, you would stand because he's worthy because of his position. That's what we do when the king of kings is in the room. We assign reverence and honor to him. The second thing it provides us with is relationship. Psalm 22 verse 3, I believe it is, says that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. What I love about that scripture that's so cool is uh, it talks about how another version says, God inhabits the praises of his people. That means when you praise, if it's in your car, if it's in this corporate setting, if it's in your bedroom, if it's in your shower, like Pastor Dave was saying, God's presence comes in that moment. He begins to build relationship with you. Connection happens between you and God. You don't have to have a special place like they had to in the Old Testament when they went to the temple or the tabernacle. You just come right where you are and you begin to lift up the name of Jesus and his presence will fall. He builds relationship with you, but Jesus kind of took it a step further. He said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. You can picture him just walking around the room almost, if you will. That's not literally what he was saying, but that's kind of that feeling that we get. He's right there in our midst. And I would just say this too, it doesn't just build relationship between you and God, but And when we gather like this and we begin to worship, God begins to build connection between us. The Bible talks about how we should keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. I don't wanna speak to someone, maybe it's a husband whose marriage is failing right now and there's division. I wanna tell you today, if you wanna see unity, begin to bring worship into the equation. 
Like maybe you just turn on worship music in the car and your spouse doesn't know why you're doing it, why you're not listening to all your crazy music that you normally listen to, that she hates anyways or whatever it may be. You just turn on worship and you just watch the presence of God begin to fill the room. If you're struggling in your job, man, just listen to worship music as you go and just watch as God's peace floods you as you go there. If you're struggling in your relationship with your teenager, just change what you're listening to and let the environment do the work. The third thing that worship does, it brings relationship, it brings reverence, but also it is an act of warfare. And we see that all throughout the Bible. In fact, um, David was really, really intense about this a lot of times. In fact, if you read some of his Psalms, he would say things like, God trains my fingers for battle and my hands for war. Like I think David, if you transplanted him to today's culture, would have been like a metal worship leader. And he would have been like, yeah, all the time. Everybody's like, that guy needs to calm down, you know? But worship is an act of warfare. In Joshua chapter seven, they're marching around the walls of Jericho and we know the walls fell, but do we forget sometimes that they shouted praise to God before the walls fell? Worship is an act, actually I've heard it said before, of psychological warfare as well. Picture yourself in an opposing army and you hear the other army praising God before the battle started. It does something on the inside of you. I believe it does something in your enemy, the devil, when you begin to praise in the midst of the most difficult times, amen? So worship, it's not boring, it's not entertainment. What it does, it, it's us reverencing God. It brings relationship with God and others. And then finally, it is an act of warfare. So today I wanna talk though personally for you. How does worship transform your interior life and the world around you? How does worship shift your life and the lives of those around you? So we come to this story in 2 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, uh, there is a king, his name is Jehoshaphat. And the people of God are in trouble. There's massive armies that are coming against them. And I, I want you to just understand, like picture in today's world, you've got the president and something bad happens and he's got speechwriters and he's got lawyers and he's got people who are his spokespeople and they're like, president, don't say that. You gotta say this. You gotta act like you know what's going on. You gotta have a little bit of compassion, but also be firm and make sure you're polished and put together. Listen to what this king does. He, he says this, he just prays in front of all the people. He says, oh, our God, will you not judge them? Talking about those armies that are coming against them. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Can you imagine a world leader today just like calling a news conference? Everybody, I have absolutely zero idea to, what to do about this crisis. Uh, but we're just gonna pray and we're just gonna ask God and see if he'll help us. How about that? And what this king had done is he had called everybody to pray and to fast. People began congregating in Jerusalem in their capital city and they were praying and fasting and believing God for something to move. And in this context, he makes this statement. It is a statement that breaks protocol for any world leader. It is a statement that no leader should be found saying in a public place, but he's in a, a state of desperation. And the only thing he knows to do is just get people's eyes on God and not the army. See, the first thing that worship can do for you is it can shift your altitude. Worship can shift your altitude. It can take your eyes from the valley. It can take your eyes from the armies around you. It can take your eyes from the diagnosis. It can take your eyes from the loss and it can just refocus it on God. It's not to say that what you're going through isn't big. It's not to say that what you're going through doesn't matter, but let's shift the perspective for just a moment. There's a word we like to throw around a lot when we worship, and it's this word magnify. And it can be confusing to people because they're like, magnifying glass, what are you talking about? It's exactly what it sounds like. 
When you magnify something, you make it bigger. You zoom in on it, you focus on it. And when you focus on it, everything else kind of fades away into the periphery. Do you know that when you magnify God, those problems begin to fade. When you magnify the problem, you're not gonna notice God as much anymore. But when you magnify God, the problem is still there and it's still real, but you begin to focus on who's really in control. Another way we can explain it is like this. If you guys could put up that image that I gave you. You're standing and sitting in a 54-acre campus. This is a large place. Some of you, when you first came here, thought it was a broken-down Sonic because of all the drive through things, but that, that's not what it is. The world's largest Sonic. It's a big place, but if you zoom out a little bit, like this is a Google Maps view. See that, that big thing over there? That, that's actually just a rock quarry. And that little red circle right there, that's the campus that you're sitting on. When you shift your altitude, you begin to shift your perspective. The seat you're sitting in, everything is still big in this room. In your life, your problems, they're still going to feel big. I'm not going to minimize the loss that you felt. I'm not going to minimize the diagnosis you received. I'm not going to minimize your financial crisis. But I just want you to see for a second, you can acknowledge the weight of it, but you can lift your eyes and shift your altitude and see it from a 30,000 foot point of view. You can say, God, I'm just gonna go trust you and know that this is big in my life, but you're still bigger. I'm gonna shift my altitude. You begin to do that when you do what the king said. You just say, God, my eyes are on you. You might just start singing any song that you know, right? You might just start singing, you are my champion. And it's, it's what we sang Sunday, so you find it on Spotify. And you just begin to sing when the world is chaos around you. Can I tell you, this world is in turmoil. We've seen so many crazy things happen this week. World leaders resigning, formal world leaders being assassinated. Our economy is crazy. There's an ongoing war in Ukraine. But I want to tell you today that praise brings perspective. Pastor Don said last week that we know who holds tomorrow. Praise and worship just reminds us, you know what, God, is turmoil around me. But I'm going to see it from a higher point of view. I'm not going to magnify the world's chaos. I'm going to magnify God. And I'm going to watch this chaos fade into the periphery. It's not saying it's not real. It's saying God is bigger than what this is. The second thing that worship can do is worship shifts your attitude. You guys have all seen that inspirational poster of like a bald eagle. And it says, your attitude determines your altitude. You know what I'm talking about? You had a middle school teacher say that to you. And you're like, I don't even know what that means. I don't want to be here right now. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're a middle school teacher. Uh, but worship actually works in reverse. See, you begin to lift your eyes to God. You shift your altitude. And something changes on the inside of you. And it shifts your attitude. If you follow this story out, they begin to lift their eyes to the Lord. They begin to seek the Lord. And this random guy in the crowd, we don't really have an indication that he was something special. I mean, it tells us his lineage, but it doesn't say he was this kind of official or that kind of minister. He certainly wasn't a priest necessarily or anybody like that. He just, the Spirit of God comes on him and he begins to prophesy. Prophesy means that he speaks what God is speaking instead of what the situation is saying. And listen to what he says. He says, listen, all you people of Judah, and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. Can you imagine in a press conference, someone's like, uh, listen, Mr. President, this is what the Lord is saying. Do not be afraid. 
Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Can you feel the tangible sense of hope that's rising? All these people are there in Jerusalem gathered. The king stands up and he says, I have no clue what to do. I'm just begging God for help. And God sends a random guy from the crowd and gives him a message that shifts the attitude of that place. I want to tell you today, that's the importance of you in the seats when you walk into this church, when you walk into your workplace. That there are people that are going to come into this lobby of this church and they need a word of encouragement. They need a smile. They need a handshake. They need someone to notice them. And it's not going to be someone on the podium or on the platform with a microphone that does it. It's going to be you that God uses to shift the attitude of the room. I just want to speak to you today and remind you that when you lift your eyes to heaven, God can shift something on the inside of you right here. The best example I've ever seen of this is Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Now, Paul and Silas were on a missionary journey. There was a little girl who had an evil spirit that was plaguing her. Paul and Silas turn around. They're just like, get out. And they cast this evil spirit out. There's a lot of people that are afraid of that kind of stuff. God's not afraid of it. He's stronger than it. You're not afraid of things that you're stronger than. And so they cast it out. And then they get thrown into prison for doing it. They're in jail. And I love this. It says, after they had been severely flogged, like I didn't know there was levels of being flogged. I thought you just flogged. Ow, this is terrible. They were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Now listen to this. About midnight, say midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Can you imagine the attitude that they could have had in this moment. I'll tell you exactly what kind of attitude I would have had. I'd have been like, I wish I'd have left that little girl with that demon spirit so I wasn't sitting in this jail. I don't know why I came on this missionary journey in the first place. I thought God would take care of me, but I did what he said, and here I am getting severely flogged, which is apparently different than minorly flogged. I didn't know that. I would not have had a good attitude at that point. What you may not also know is that the Apostle Paul is a Roman citizen. He has rights under the Roman government, and these people don't realize he's a Roman citizen. So they're just oppressing him because they can. He could have demanded at that moment, you know what, let me talk to someone who's in charge here. We're going to settle this right now. But instead, he just chooses to lift his eyes to Jesus, and it shifts the attitude of his heart, and he just begins to pray and sing. Listen, I can't control the world around me, but I can control the worship that comes out of me. You cannot control whether you walk in tomorrow and your boss says, hey, I'm so sorry, we just have some restructuring, some cutbacks, we're gonna have to let you go. But you can control what comes out of you afterwards. You can control whether it's a few special words, if you know what I'm talking about, or you can control whether it's worship. You can change your attitude if you would just lift your eyes and change your altitude. Just begin to look at him. What's so cool about this is worship shifts your altitude, then it shifts your attitude. But here's the most fun part. It shifts the atmosphere. And this is where it gets really good. Worship begins to change the atmosphere. So here's what happened. King Jehoshaphat is like freaking out. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. One guy gets a word from God, changes the attitude of the entire nation in a moment. That's the power of you speaking what God's placed on your heart and encouraging people. And then this is what happens. 
It says in uh, verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now pause. I'm a worship leader. It's what I do. If someone told me, I would like for you to go at the head of the army, I'd be like, with just this guitar? Like, is there a shield involved? Or is there anything? Or is it just me and a guitar, you know? And so these guys go out and they just, their job is to sing. I want you to hear this, men of the house. It says he appointed men to sing. Can we just pause there for a second? There are incredible scriptural examples of both men and women praising God in scripture. They are, there are incredible examples of women prophetically singing to God in the Old Testament, thanking him for what he's done. But right here, the author chooses to say, inspired by the spirit of God, he appointed men to sing. Man, I just want to say this to you. There's power in your voice. Whether it's good or not, there's power in your voice. And God has called you to be like him. And the Bible teaches us that God sings over us. Zephaniah 3.17 says that God is a mighty warrior who rejoices over you with singing. You see how he pairs those things together? God is a mighty warrior who rejoices over you with great singing. It always goes together in the kingdom. Maybe there's some breakthrough that has to happen in your family, but it's gonna come by you as a man beginning to sing and prophesy the promises of God over your family. Maybe that's what you have to do. I'm not saying you gotta do it in front of your wife and kids, you know? If you have a teenager, just expect it. They're gonna mess with you for that, you know? But I just wanna encourage you, men, there's something in your voice when you worship that shakes heaven and earth. So check this out. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. These were allies. They're fighting together against Judah and they were defeated. The Bible says they literally began to attack each other. As they began to praise and sing, the enemy went into confusion and the whole atmosphere began to shift. They didn't have to fight the battle. God was fighting for them if they would just lift their voice and worship. I wanna tell you today that worship wins the war. Worship will win the war in your mind. Worship will win the war in your finances. Worship will win the war in your body. Worship will win the war in your marriage. Worship will win the war that it seems like every day is a fight between you and your teenager, but God would say, you know what? Bring worship into the middle of it and watch worship win the war. I think if they hadn't have sung, they'd have fought just as hard. And honestly, they would have totally lost. They would have been decimated because they left worship out of the equation. Worship wins the war. Worship changes the atmosphere. See, worship doesn't just change the atmosphere around us. It changes the atmosphere within us. It changes my atmosphere. When you worship, something begins to shift on the inside of you. You walk into a job that everybody else hates. You walk into a boss that everybody else thinks is a jerk and you just have a peace that passes understanding. The Bible says it guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You walk in and people are like, huh, I don't know what's up with him, but he seems really relaxed today. We got yelled at yesterday, but he seems like he's good today. Worship changes my atmosphere. A dear friend of ours here at the church recently fell and broke a bone and she was in the hospital and then uh, transitioned to a rehab facility and called to check in on her yesterday. And she said, you know, I was just sitting in the room. There were issues with insurance and all kinds of stuff. She said, I was just sitting in the room and I just began to sing to the Lord. 
And as I sang to the Lord, she said the presence of the Lord filled that room so strong. If she were to describe it to you, you would think like, man, if if a nurse walked in, they'd be like, what in the world is happening in here, you know? Worship can change the atmosphere like that for you. I don't know what your place is in life right now. I don't know if you're at your lowest low at your darkest place. I don't know if you're walking through depression. I don't know if you're walking through anxiety. I don't know if you're walking through financial insecurity. I don't know if you're walking through fear. I don't know if you're walking through loss or grief or the consequences of something you've done. But when you choose to worship in your lowest point, it will shift the atmosphere on the inside of you. So you begin to look up and you go, you know what, God, this is really bad, just to be honest, but you're so much bigger than the bad thing that's happening to me right now. And then you kind of get a little bit of fight on the inside of you. Your attitude begins to change and you kind of start to say, you know what, I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I can do this because of who my God says I am. Things are bad right now like they were bad for Paul and Silas in that jail cell, but I'm gonna choose to worship anyway. And you begin to worship and you watch the atmosphere of your life begin to shift. But there's something even more powerful that happens. Worship can shift the atmosphere for others. Because here's the rest of the story of what happens with Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are in this jail cell. There's all these people, all these criminals in there with them, and they just begin to sing. Can you imagine being a a criminal in there? Like, I, I robbed someone this morning. Now I'm in jail, and there's dudes singing, and I don't get it at all, you know? What is happening? They're not like singing, oh, I've been working on the railroad, you know, just trying to pass the time. They are just completely and totally worshiping God. They're sitting there like, what in the world is going on? And it picks up the story in Acts chapter 16, and it says this in verse 25. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Can you see the atmosphere beginning to shift for the people around them? Hardened criminals, people who had done wrong. In that culture too, probably some people who really didn't do anything wrong, but the Roman government just kind of liked to work people over. And so they pulled them in and they were in trouble for nothing. People who were in a bad spot begin to hear praise and worship. The atmosphere, the environment of that, of that prison begins to change. It says suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. I want to tell you this today. You may have been worshiping and praying for years to see something come to pass, but I want you to know that there is a suddenly that is on its way. I believe that's a word from God for somebody today. There's a suddenly that's on its way. And I prophesy to you right now that where there's not been enough strength, God is giving you strength to keep going, to keep praying, to keep worshiping until you hit that suddenly. We believe that in the name of Jesus. It says, suddenly there was a sound like a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. The doors immediately flew open and the chains fell off of every prisoner. Chains begin to fall off when you lift your voice in worship and you shift the atmosphere of the people around you. That's why it's so important that you come on Sunday morning ready to worship. That's why it's so important that you attend this building on Sunday morning because your praise can break the chains off of someone else's life that's sitting next to you. There is a shift that happens when you lift your voice and you praise. And these prisoners are all free, but they don't leave because God's turning things around in their hearts where they would have just ran. If I'm Paul and Silas, I'm like, I'm out. I'm gonna take that as a sign from God. I'm leaving right now. If I'm a random criminal, I'm like, I don't know, but I'm leaving too. Thank you, God, I think. I don't know. Don't strike me down. But in this moment, prisoners begin to stay because their hearts are changing. In this moment, this jailer is about to kill himself because he knows the punishment will be so great 
from the authorities. He might as well just end it. There are people who are struggling with depression to the point of suicidal thoughts, and praise can break that. I want you, I, I was praying for you guys this morning, and I felt the Lord just kind of dealing on the subject of depression. And there are some people in this room, you've seen psychiatrists, you've seen licensed professional counselors, you've taken the medicine they told you to take, and I believe you should. I believe that you should honor and, and just kind of follow what they're telling you to do. But I think sometimes there's a missing ingredient that I want you to know about, and that's praise. That's worship. That's lifting your eyes and going, God, I feel this way, but you are bigger. You are transcendent. You are above all. I'm not gonna stay this way forever. It's not gonna take me out. This man who's about to end his life ends up giving his life to God because of the praise and the worship that Paul and Silas lifted up. His entire household is saved and baptized. See, your worship is a witness to the world around you. Your worship is a witness to the world around you. When people see you at work or at school, they should be like, I don't know why that person's so peaceful. And you just tell them, it's because I worshiped on the way here in the com on my commute. I'm not spending hours a day at my house just lifting my hands and worshiping God. I got a two-year-old. Are you kidding me? I've heard 15 requests before I rolled out of bed. But when I'm commuting, I'm worshiping God. I'm listening for him. I'm changing the music in the car, and I'm just worshiping. I heard this really well-known worship leader say one time, and I saw her do it, and that's what made, really made it powerful to me. She said, I would rather be the person who walks in the back of the room and shifts the atmosphere than the person on stage with a microphone. I would rather be the person who walks in the back of the room and shifts the atmosphere than the person who stands on stage with a microphone. I watched it. I watched her in the back of a room. No one watching except me like, she really does do what she said she did. And she's just worshiping like no one's in the room. I wonder if you could be the person who shifts the atmosphere when you walk in the room. Like the boss at, at work that everybody just doesn't like to think he's a jerk, he yells at everybody. What if one day in your meeting... They just started talking to you about their life. Come to find out they've got some personal things they're going through and they're just feeling the pressure of their personal life and it's leaking on everybody else. But there's an atmosphere of peace on you because you're a worshiper. There's an atmosphere of peace on you. You can say, you know what? I'll listen, I'll talk to you. Have you tried inviting God into that situation? What if you were the person that shifted the atmosphere of your family tree because you were the worshiper that walked in the room? What if you walked into the family reunion? Those can be awesome or extremely awkward. You know what I'm saying? And you were the person that something different about you from the last time we saw you. You just shifted the atmosphere. Would you do me a favor and stand today? I, I want to do something that's really important. It's beautiful to do this and to talk about this, but until we put it into practice, it's not doing anything for us. So I want you to learn how to do this in a corporate setting right now. But then what I want you to do is I want you to take it home with you after this. See, what these people were talking about in 2 Chronicles is we're surrounded by armies that are too great for us. And you know what? You may feel like that today, a situation in your finances, a situation in your marriage, a situation with your son or your daughter, an estranged son or daughter, a situation where a doctor gave you a diagnosis of cancer or of type 1 diabetes. I was praying early and I felt like maybe a kidney issue that you're dealing with. I want you to know today that your worship can shift the atmosphere, not mine, yours. 
So what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna lift our voice. We're gonna worship with everything we've got. We're gonna give it all we've got. And we're gonna watch the atmosphere change. We're gonna watch chains fall off. We're gonna watch the altitude lift in the room. We're gonna watch our attitude change. We're gonna shift the atmosphere with our praise in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship. Here we go.
chains begin to break at the mention of the name. Father, we thank you today that the atmosphere shifts when a worshiper arises. Pastor Don said it so beautifully a while back. Send in a worshiper. And Father, we echo the words of the prophet when you were looking for someone to send and he said, here I am, Lord, send me. Father, we know that you're looking to send in a worshiper and we say, here we are, Lord, send Tree of Life Church. That as it has for almost 41 years that the sound of worship from this house will just emanate throughout the region. We heard somebody say one time, the region responds to the sound that comes out of this church. Father, where there's chaos, where there's division, where there's strife, God, we just speak peace as we worship in Jesus' name. Where there's sin, we speak freedom as we worship the name of Jesus in this house. And Father, we just prophesy right now that the sound that comes out of this place, the sound of worship, the sound of hearts being transformed by the power of God, responding with reverence and relationship and warfare, the sound of people shifting their altitude, looking up to heaven, the sound of people shifting their attitude, going, you know what, there's more fight on the inside of me because I've seen it from heaven's perspective now. Don't give up. It'll shift the atmosphere around us. I believe it'll shift the atmosphere of our world, but it starts right here in our hearts. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you wanna find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.